Empathy is knowing our own dark Words have has power. Like without that connection, you don't have anything. What's the opposite of addiction? It's freedom. Well, hello, everyone. Uh, welcome back to another episode of Finding Peaks. My name is Brandon Burns, Chief Executive Officer for Peaks Recovery Centers, joined today by our Chief Medical Officer, uh, Dr. Ashley Johnson, and our Chief Operating Officer, Mr. Clint Nicholson, everybody. Uh, welcome back, everybody who's joining us uh, today. Uh, as we spoke about on the last time I hosted, uh, we were going to invite Dr. Ashley Johnson in to uh, talk about a variety of issues uh, surrounding patient care in the direction of uh, depressive, uh, major depressive disorders. Um, we're going to do what we can to stick true to depression as the topic today. Uh, but if you know how this show works, if you catch us going out in different directions, uh, you already know how it works. And for those who are new, this is how it works. So, <laughs> um, so here we are today. Uh, on top of this, uh, not just our chief medical officer, and I think I just want to highlight, you know, really what that means for, you know, Peaks Recovery Centers. You uh, came into Peaks and showed us uh, a variety of different ways about how to improve patient care. Not only did you introduce um, and, and bring on board detox services uh, for us so that we could do a continuum of care through Peaks Recovery Centers, um, but you were really uh, the anchor and the flagship for us developing integrated care whatsoever, making mental health primary. Uh, a significant feature of programming and creating that inclusion, uh, as well as us having to kind of punch through the door of medication-assisted treatment and move through those kind of attitudes at the time. So uh, she's done an incredible amount of work on behalf of Peaks Recovery Centers that we are super uh, grateful for. At the same time as well, too, uh, she's branched out and created uh, Colorado Recovery Solutions, uh, for which she's the CEO and founder of as well, too, and we'll get into more of what those services um, include uh, in that regard, but a lot of fantastic things happening um, that you're a part of, and I think uh, for the viewers out there as well too, um, you all know me, my job here is wanting to disrupt an industry, and I think uh, Dr. Ashley Johnson here, I'm just going to go to Dr. J, because that's what we call her at the office, Dr. <laughs> J here um, is a big part of this disruption, and I think in a really beautiful and vibrant way, and so we're going to tackle uh, these topics today and, and uh, get right into it. So um, through your vision at uh, Colorado Recovery, Recovery, Recovery Solutions, um, what do you see as needing to be disrupted from an industry perspective? And I'm sure that's a loaded question and maybe there's a lot to uh, dive into there, but I think maybe at just a high level in a general sense, what are you seeing uh, through the lens of psychiatry uh, that is not working uh, for which you uh, wish to change moving forward? I think what I, what I see most and what drives me the most is what a lot of other psychiatrists are seeing too um, is, is just this exciting kind of emerging field of uh, neuroplasticity and neuromodulation and so that is what really drives uh, this kind of changing the path of our approach. Um, so for, for decades, it was just medication. We had to wait for the next new, medic, ne new mechanism, really, to come out, uh, especially with depression, um, which is one of the most debilitating um, mental health conditions. And... Um, so we've just gone through probably every decade since the 50s. Um, we had a new mechanism of action come out, and then it wasn't until the 
SSRIs uh, hit the market that, um, in probably around 1990 or so, um, was Prozac came out first, and then um, Zoloft was soon to follow, um, and they are amazingly still the standard um, first-line medication. Um, however, what we have also found out over the last three decades uh, is that you can't expect full remission of symptoms, uh, especially with depression. Um, it, and SSRIs are, are uh, first-line medication for many different psychiatric disorders, uh, PTSD, OCD, um, generalized anxiety. So all of those are really kind of top of the list um, that we see, especially when you come into peaks and, um, you know, because we have now this primary mental health, I guess, kind of track, mm -hmm. um, it's not only treating uh, someone who has a primary substance use disorder, but um, we have to think differently about it. And so, because depression is probably the most common um, mental health condition, we are going to see a vast majority of primary mental health patients who come to PEAKS for stabilization uh, have major depressive disorder. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, it just makes sense that we look at the next, the next best treatment past medications. And um, that has now emerged as TMS, or transcranial magnetic stimulation, and... I'm glad you said it, because yes. I was like, how do I say TMS <laughs> out loud here? Don't mess it up, Brandon, but you have the language, so that's perfect. <laughs> it took a lot of practice yeah. to get that one down, uh, and then I just went back to calling it TMS. So, um, <laughs> it's a safe place for me, too. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. Uh, so I, I look at the, this emerging field of uh, really neuromodulation as kind of really two different emerging categories, and one is TMS and one is ketamine. Mm -hmm. And there's a couple different forms of ketamine now available. First, it was just your basic generic ketamine that was first used um, for anesthesia, and it's a, it's a very short-acting anesthetic, dissociative anesthetic, and, um, and so for, again, decades, we were using it and then just incidentally found that it had an extremely potent antidepressant effect. And so then um, practitioners started noticing this and, and said, well, why, why not just go ahead and let's refine this medication um, and, and give access to the psychiatric disorders, really, mm -hmm. people who are suffering where we haven't made a whole lot of um, improvement, again, since the SSRIs came out, and then um, that was primarily for depression, where we saw people really just coming back into their own um, after a ketamine, um, I guess, dosing. And then over time, we also found that through um, understanding the bioavailability of ketamine, 
is that infusion is the best way for people to get the best effect and the most exposure throughout their body uh, from ketamine. And so that's why, for the most part, if you want a, an extremely effective version of ketamine therapy, you want to do infusion. And so infusion, uh, I guess if you said inf infusion versus Spravato, which is the nasal spray that's still, that just came out a couple years ago um, and is still on patent, of course, uh, is much more difficult to access that medication. Um, but the bioavailability of Spravato as a nasal spray um, is it's it's actually S-ketamine, um, which is just a slight change in the um, chemical makeup mm -hmm. of it, and uh, it, different from your just uh, basic ketamine. Um, ketamine is 100% bioavailable through infusion, whereas S-ketamine or Spravato is 50% bioavailable through nasal spray. Okay. And so that you can kind of um, associate the differences in its effect based on that bioavailability. Uh, so because when you deliver that drug through the nasal passages, uh, it has to go through many different stages of processing through the body where um, it, it actually degrades it, mm -hmm. um, whereas infusion can bypass many of those kind of filters in your body. Uh, to where you get much more effect from it. So, um, you brought up if you know yeah, me, to, if you brought up two really interesting concepts that I think are are worth kind of mentioning again, which uh, the idea of um, neuromodulation and neuroplasticity. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if you could speak to that a little bit, yep. just for the audience, so that they recognize because that those concepts, like you mentioned, really have sort of changed our approach and kind of our understanding of what. Uh, the ability or capacity for long-lasting change and recovery actually really looks like in somebody's day-to-day -day life. Um, so I'm wondering if you could speak to that from a, the psychiatric standpoint, what the importance of that concept of neuroplasticity and neuromodulation uh, really is. Yeah, absolutely. So really, it's not so much that that concept is new from medications. However, it seems new because these treatments that I've mentioned, and as well as even better understanding about psychotherapy or talk therapy, uh, as well as um, your traditional oral medications, like we mentioned, the SSRIs, um, all of those actually have an effect on your neuroplasticity, if done correctly, right? Uh, it's just some are more effective at it than others. So that's where TMS and ketamine come in, is that they really kind of showed up on the stage here as having a neuromodulatory effect on the brain that could cause a faster healing process, basically. We were seeing the effects faster than if you did long-term psychotherapy, um, even CBT, um, that's time limited. If you did, you know, by the book, 12 sessions um, in 12 weeks, and then you did occasional follow-ups for CBT, um, you could see the effects 
similar effects if you did six infusions of ketamine uh, in two weeks. And so if now what we're finding is that the, the neuromodulatory effect is so much more improved if you have a ketamine infusion or even spravato or even oral ketamine while you're doing therapy, right? So now we've combined it all. And while there are lots of therapists out there doing that, I don't think we quite know yet um, the impact of this and how positive it's going to be. Uh, and just so much more effective. That's what's so exciting to me about it, especially um, absolutely for treatment-resistant depression, but especially for PTSD in that regard. Yeah, I think that, you know, Brennan spoke to you um, really sort of creating this interdisciplinary culture at peaks and establishing that through uh, a really uh, robust medical program, but the, it's the integration and sort of the collaboration of the clinical world and the medical world that where we really start to see the, where we can have the most uh, efficacy as far as change in, in sort of um, taking advantage of that, the sort of neuromodulatory effects mm -hmm. of treatment. And it's um, what makes us very exciting, these types of collaborations and the fact that there's, this is new to a degree, you know, at least the concepts may have been around a while, but our understanding of them has improved our ability to approach them in a more, in a fresh, more um, innovative fashion is mm -hmm. also really improved. And then when you bring the two worlds together, you get this sort of um, exponential impact, which we're just now starting to really, to kind of explore and see mm -hmm. what, how that works and how that engages and, and really does improve the treatment of clients and just quality of care in general. So it's, it's pretty, um, it's, it's an interesting and fun time to be a, a neuro nerd, basically. <laughs> it is, it yeah. is. Yeah, it really is. Absolutely. I mean, and for me, I mean, I think the brain is the, is the new frontier. It's the final frontier as far as our understanding of, of everything about us as individuals and how we work and how we function. And, and so bringing in these kind of new um, and, uh, or, or kind of um, more innovative approaches to treatment is really exciting. So. It is. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you gave, um, and uh, I'm curious for, because I'm hearing neuromodulation and neuroplasticity and, you know, at the end of the day, how, how we might be able to simplify it through, you know, a metaphor and what that healing mechanism actually looks like. And you gave uh, uh, a beautiful presentation and training opportunity for staff a few weeks ago as well, too, around the subject. And you, um, in describing the neural pathway and what was happening, I think you brought up the metaphor of a rope and it being frayed. And, yeah. um, and if that still is applicable here and has context, I would certainly love for you to re-review that uh, metaphor on behalf of the viewers um, so that we yeah. could bring these, con these big encyclopedia-style terms into you know, yes. something that's a little bit more palatable. Yes, trying to get it down to less than five syllables <laughs> in the word. Uh, but so I love the, that metaphor of uh, if you were to kind of take your, you know, a piece of the brain and kind of smush it and you would see all the different nerves or even throughout your body um, and in neurons, which are kind of long and like a rope. And so uh, what we had talked about was that if you take a big rope, um, like you might see it at some port somewhere around ships and things, um, and, and you, you just kind of take something rough like a brick or, or whatnot and, and you just rub it on the rope really hard like a hemp rope. 
and uh, you'll start to see the fibers start fraying, right? And so those frayed fibers on this rope really represent what your neurons can look like if you have suffered from an untreated mental health condition for quite some time, like years. Uh, so absolutely major depression, generalized anxiety, uh, and PTSD and OCD all fit into that category. They can all really, when they're untreated and they go on for years, they actually are assaulting the brain in different areas of the brain. Um, through the different hormone cycles that are being released, the neurotransmitters are, are dysregulated and that kind of thing. So like all the chemicals and such that are swirling around the brain, they are so dysregulated that they're actually assaulting the brain. And so they will, um, those conditions can over time kind of almost shrink parts of your brain, uh, again, if it's untreated. And so that's why it is so important to intervene early in these processes if we can you know assign the diagnosis figure it out through someone's history um, and then we can come back to what we described as this rope um, and by applying even the medications we talked about the ssris or um, the psychotherapy uh, tms and ketamine when all of those are applied appropriately those frayed fibers from the rope are kind of like smoothed out. It's almost like you are uh, pouring a, a substance that kind of clears that rope off of the, yes, like a, like a wax is a good, good uh, analogy as well. So then once you go and you pour the, the wax on the rope, you can't feel those fibers anymore. And that's really what your nerves will then look like as they are healing, if you were to look at them under the microscope. Um, once you have undergone some of these treatments, right? And especially if you achieve full remission, meaning all of your symptoms go away uh, and you kind of return to full functioning in your life. Um, I mean, the English major in me just loves the metaphor, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and as a <laughs> philosophy major, I was always told not to use metaphors. I think, I think it's a great metaphor <laughs> in, that, in that regard as well, too. Um, so there's, oh, there's so many different branches we could fire off from here uh, on, but I, I think flat out speaking, somebody comes in with a major depressive disorder before we were, um, as a medicalized system or, or through the lens of psychiatry, psychiatry really looking at uh, these opportunities, it was just medication, right? And when it was just medication or assuming medication moving forward, um, you know, there's a reason in which we kind of want to move away from it, and that reason to me seems to be that there isn't a great uh, deal, there isn't a significant probability that all individuals will get well under medication, that at some point it feels like we're throwing darts in the dark in that regard. So um, before diving more into these, you know, uh, unique value propositions that you've created and brought uh, into uh, Colorado Springs and certainly supported uh, Peaks patients through uh, Colorado Recovery Solutions, what is the efficacy of medications in the direction of uh, major depressive disorders at this time? What we can expect is about 30% of individuals that try any one of these first-line medications, so SSRIs, which again is Prozac, Zoloft, Lexapro, those are the common ones that people are prescribed. 
um, maybe 30% of those people who are prescribed those meds will get 30% improvement in their symptoms of depression. Uh, and then it continues down the line. Uh, if, if Prozac, Zoloft, Lexapro, if it doesn't work, standard of care is that you would then either try a different SSRI or you would switch classes of medications. And that typically in our traditional psychiatric uh, prescribing world would mean that you would go to an SNRI usually um, is most common. And so that would be your Effexor, which is Venlafaxine, or Cymbalta, which is duloxetine. Um, you might somewhere in there try Wellbutrin, which is its own unique mechanism. It's a stimulating antidepressant, and so if you have anxiety, you don't typically want to use Wellbutrin, um, but it can be a potent antidepressant in and of itself. Um, and so, generally speaking, you would go down that kind of algorithm of decision-making if someone doesn't respond at any one level of that or any treatment there. And so, Every time you fail a medication generally means that you have less of a chance of getting better with a new medication. Mm -hmm. um, it's still worth a try, generally speaking, because medications, oral medications, meaning by mouth, uh, are the side effect profile with SSRIs and SNRIs, um, again, are all those I just mentioned, uh, they, the side effect profile is very low, generally speaking, mm -hmm. um, at least in regards to if you are weighing the risks and benefits of, do I go on continuing to suffer from depression or do I try a new medication? Mm -hmm. The benefit does outweigh the risk yeah. of the side effects or even uh, the fact that it may not work. Yeah. So then, um, so that's, that's really the cycle we've been on for, 30 years or yeah. so, yeah. And, and I'm, this is a, we didn't talk about this prior to coming on here, so uh, feel free to just say, we didn't talk about this, we're not talking about it. But it reminds me of like when I, I think this is how Tylenol works, right? Let's say I have a headache, right, because of dehydration. I'm not aware that I need to drink more, but I have a headache, so in American culture, one of those ex quick external strategies isn't to explore, hey, am I did I drink enough water today? It's like, no, I have a headache, Advil, you know, or Tylenol, and mm -hmm. I prescribe that for myself over the counter in the moment, and I yes. give it to myself. Um, it's not clear to me that when I take it that I've actually resolved the core issue that the medication is, in fact, um, at least in the way that I'm perceiving it right now, is just distracting me from the fact that I still have this ongoing headache because I have not drank enough water. Uh, and if that's true about how those work, at least in those moments, um, as a distracting feature, how much do those medications, when they're working, are, are they working in a similar way of where they're not actually smoothing out the rope in the way that you know, ketamine infusion and TMS is actually doing? Um, is it more of a distracting feature and it's still frayed? Or in time, is it actually smoothing out that rope, if all that? Yes, that's a, that's a great question. So the way I would look at it is, and what I tell my patients is, when we're starting an SSRI or an antidepressant in general, is that this is, a, is not just a patch. Right. It is a neuroregenerative medication. Mm -hmm. 
And it, if you take it consistently, which is every day for the most part with all of these medications, you have to take it every day. You have to allow your uh, body to, to reach a steady state of the level of the drug mm -hmm. uh, and then allow it to remain at a steady state level for weeks before you will get the optimal effect uh, on your depression or anxiety. And um, during that process, it is actually stopping the assaultive process on your brain's nerves. So it's like taking that brick or whatever it was, this razor blade, that, that whatever was scraping across this rope and fraying it, it's like it's removing that from mm -hmm. the process. Gotcha. It's putting, it's stopping it. But it may, it may not be, at least not in the immediate sense, it's not pouring the wax over the rope mm -hmm. to smooth it out. Mm -hmm. That takes probably at least a year mm -hmm. or more mm -hmm. of you taking the medication consistently, uh, really doing consistent psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. um, so there's no modulation, neuromodulation taking place. It's just giving, it's taking the brick away and then allowing the rope to stay there. The distracting feature of the medication is that I no longer experience the fraying, the major depression and that sort of thing. But in time, uh, uh, because we have these natural uh, cellular, you know, remodulation that'll take place independent of all these things, in the background, it's slowly healing itself now. Whereas, mm -hmm. uh, under the new lens of like ketamine infusion, for example, it's an immediate remodula yes. remodulating of the, the, the neuron there, right? Yes, uh, it still requires uh, repetition of the mm -hmm. infusion, mm -hmm. but, uh, and then it still may require boosters mm -hmm. of the infusion uh, over you know, the, the, the following year or so, um, but it's quicker. Mm -hmm. And so like with the medications, the oral medications, it's like taking, if, if you were going to pour wax over the rope, right? It's like taking a candle, a tiny little candle that's burning, um, and you do like one drop. Yeah. And it, 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 I mean, if, if you had a rope like as big as this room, that would probably, you know, could easily take a long time. Yeah. A couple years easily. Um, inconsistent therapy and medication to uh, achieve the healing that you might achieve uh, through TMS or ketamine. Mm -hmm. And so with ket, well, TMS actually is, right now we think that you can um, probably achieve double the effectiveness of medication with a six week, actually it's about more like eight week trial of treatment with TMS. So speaking of the time frame that it takes, you know, because it, we have a 45-day residential program in which medications are first line of defense. We usually start those immediately. However, seeing the efficacy of those take effect is going to take weeks sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, and we only have six of them, right? Mm -hmm. So we start the medication right away, the clinical interventions start right away, the psychotherapy, the sort of traditional uh, intervention strategy happens right off the bat, but we know that's going to take time and that really that is the healing mechanism at that point. It's, so we have a shortened model, we have a shortened amount of time, and now we have these new interventions or more uh, interventions that have become more accessible 
Um, is it appropriate then to start ketamine or start TMS right off the bat in order to kind of almost as a jump start to that process? Does that make sense from yes. a medical perspective? Okay. It does, and uh, I, I don't think of it as, well, if, if you look at our, our detox mm -hmm. model of care, right, where it fits in the continuum of care for substance use disorder treatment, it's the first week of treatment about, right? Absolutely. So it's, it's removing the substance, helping keep someone comfortable until they can kind of get back to somewhat of their baseline, right? They're still gonna need to go through a few weeks of stabilization in the residential program, but having removed this, the substance that was also assaulting the brain is stopping that process. And then we're kind of in the clear, is how we look at it, medically cleared, basically to then apply these other treatments that are more rapid in their effect while someone is, uh, you know, participating in the group therapy, the individual therapy, especially at peaks and the, the model of care that we have there, um, it's, it, we also can start the, the oral medication at that time too, because ketamine, S-ketamine or Spravato, TMS, they all work as augmenters of the oral medication as well as the psychotherapy. Right, and so instead of, let's say we have someone who comes to us with treatment resistant depression and suicidal ideations, which is pretty common, um, in, in order for them to really be able to bypass going to the hospital for that to stabilize, these new treatments, especially ketamine, can help stabilize someone like that so that they can continue in the program and then with repeated administrations of the infusion or Spravato, uh, it actually is helping propel them into healing. And so it, it does work really seamlessly together and should at least. Right. Now our systems may not, our financial systems well, yeah, and such, I was gonna get might little, not help us with that. A but. little disruptive for a second <laughs> because knowing what we know about the efficacy of these treatment inter interventions and strategies, the access to them is, is, does not necessarily align with what our treatment trajectory would look like, specifically within this timeline, this sort of chronological timeline. We want people in right away, and insurance companies are not necessarily allowing that. And I'm just curious, want to be curious with everybody why that is and what we can do uh, within our industry and as disruptors of this industry to try to change that through um, sort of collaboration with uh, organizations like yours and companies like yours, like CRS. So as a psychiatrist, what do you think is our best strategy to make, to make these changes and, and make them known? So I'm, a, I'm, I'm someone who, my first approach is to just comply with whatever they tell me to do in order to get my hands on the treatment or be able to give access to my patients is I just do what they tell me to do. And so that's what I'm doing right now and kind of have and just now have fulfilled many of these requirements um, from insurance companies, from the FDA, uh, which, you know, a lot of those kind of things from the FDA and what, uh, 
what Spravato is controlled by is called a RIMS program. So that stands for Risk Evaluation and Mitigation Strategy. And so that's overseen by the FDA, the DEA, um, and Janssen, who created Spravato. And so uh, we, in order to um, provide Spravato to any given person with major treatment resistant major depression and or acute suicidal ideations, we have to comply with their program in order for the drug to be safely administered and not diverted basically into the community. And uh, so that's one approach. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we encourage that approach for yes, sure. Right. Yes, right. Uh, safety first. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. I truly absolutely. believe that. Yeah, 100%. Um, and so, uh, but then come the insurance companies. Uh, is, so how do you comply with everything they want you to? Because they all have different standards, despite what, uh, different interpretations of the studies, the literature about these different treatments. And so they impose on us all their different criteria, or agendas. I look at as, what's that? Agendas, agendas some might call them. Um, yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> the almighty dollar um, right, is absolutely. always looming there somewhere. Yeah. So, um, so in my approach, I learn their game. I, I learn basically how do you give access to these treatments in their most effective manner um, according to the evidence that we have for them? Um, and then how do you advocate to the insurance companies on the behalf of your patients so that when when they're denied, which all of these ketamine infusion aside, that it is not covered by any insurance because many different reasons. Um, it's generic, it's been around forever. Um, there's no patent for a company to really take it and advertise it to um, all these different companies and such. But, um, that is really, if you think about it, while ketamine infusion is invasive in that it's an IV, 50% um, more bioavailability and really effect probably, potentially, um, versus Spravato, should su suggest in our culture that, you know, we should be uh, supporting this treatment, really, and trying to get this one out because it's affordable, more affordable at least, um, than Spravato. So, um, but insurance has embraced Spravato. They, they cover that. Um, but we have to, um, of course, go through this prior authorization form for everything that I've mentioned, TMS, Spravato, even med management um, at its basic level. We have to go through these, um, at least, uh, you know, figuring out the benefits and such and the millions of different plans and such. Um, and, but it's, it's in the times when you, you spend a lot of time with the patient filling out the prior authorization, you submit it, um, you think it's a slam dunk of a case, this person has just been suffering for years. Um, from treatment-resistant depression, 
You've justified all that through all the med trials that they've gone through, uh, through the duration of their major depressive episode. And then um, it's possible through some technicality that's written in the insurance um, policy about TMS or, or Spravato that they'll say, oh, wait, no, we don't agree with that, you know, the overlap of when you tried Lexapro um, was one month outside of what you documented as the current episode of depression. And so, so we don't count that as a medication trial. Uh, and, you know, I think you have to really get up, up to speed on all of the literature so that you can really, you have to kind of go into a debate with the other physician on the other line who is saying, no, this doesn't qualify. I'm gonna go ahead and deny this and you can just barely keep them from hanging the phone up on you. Um, and then um, if, if you do get your point across with them, they still say without any kind of basis for it, sorry, we're, we're just not going to approve this today. You need to either go to an appeal or resubmit it or sorry, you're right. just out of luck. So it's, that takes hours out Absolutely. of your day. Yeah. Um, and the whole time the, the patient is still suffering. Absolutely. Yeah, like mm -hmm. And the risk is mounting. Absolutely. Yeah. For how debilitated they may be from their depression, if they're suicidal, yeah. you know, wh what may happen. And th these are people who are not in the hospital, that we're trying to help keep them out of the hospital. Um, Which ultimately saves insurance companies money, so there's this element of irony to it all. And the fact there is. That, yeah, and, and I, I think I just, I, I'd like to talk about it because this is the world in which we live, right? Mm -hmm. This is the access to care that is, um, we, we have these new and amazing uh, intervention strategies at our disposal, but not necessarily always accessible. And that is, um, and that's frustrating. And yeah. I think it's valuable to talk about it. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. And it, and from a, you know, you know, my frustrations, of course, and all the Absolutely. episodes I've done around treatment centers, websites, hope and save, and you know, all these words have behind it a great deal of complexity to Absolutely. actually bring the individual forward, so which now they start feeling hopeful. And um, this is such a wonderful discussion, but for the sake of time, for sure, because the kids on the social media only have so much attention span, I Absolutely. think they've all walked away now with the rope, <laughs> yeah. with the rope analogy, so I think we got that much across in this moment. I just wanted to, uh, before I, before I uh, take us home and uh, out of this room, uh, for at least for this time, until you come back with uh, Jason Friesma uh, in the following week, um, what is, how long does it take, is it neurooptic, I forget the language of, when you uh, take an SSRI, say, you know, it's Zoloft or Lexapro, whatever the case might be, how long does that actually take before the individual, for the 30% that it may work for, how long does it take for them to actually start experiencing that? Is it immediate? Is it weeks? What, can, what does that look like? We generally just tell people to ex expect, you know, at least four to six weeks before you get the max effect of the dose that you are currently taking. You might feel some effect in the first week or two. It's very possible, but uh, it's not going to be the full effect. Um, and then at four to six weeks, you, if, if you don't have full remission of your depression at that time, you always want to look at would, a would the next higher dose be 
uh, <coughs> indicated here. And so usually it is, usually you just go on up if you <coughs> haven't had side effects to the, to the drug. Um, and if you have had side effects and they're still going on, the standard of care is that you have to wait that out. So mm -hmm. you can't go up on the dose mm -hmm. um, unless you're just willing to accept that those side effects may get worse and then you have to wait it out again, uh, it can be, become a very uh, strenuous, laborious process for any one person who's suffering from depression mm -hmm. or extreme anxiety even to have to wait that out. And then if it doesn't work on the first go around to have to do it again mm -hmm. and then give up if that, mm -hmm. that one doesn't work. Um, we do have augmenting strategies we can try. Sometimes that does help it kind of take control a little bit better uh, or take effect. Um, not all levels of medicine, and at least practitioners, are comfortable doing the augmentation strategies with different medications. But um, so again, access to care then becomes another risk mm -hmm. um, with medications. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and then access to care in regards to TMS and, and Spravato is so much more difficult to achieve. Then, then your risks just continue mm -hmm. to mount mm -hmm. and the suffering continues to mount, mm -hmm. really. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the vast majority of people don't have, you know, money flowing out of them to... Um, just kind of yeah pay out of pocket for any one of these treatments mm -hmm. uh and the, and for instance spravato if you paid out of pocket for that could be fifteen hundred dollars in administration Jeez. and so you could have you know it easily um i'm calculating in my head what may be the average of someone how many administrations someone might have uh, to actually stabilize on Spravato, uh, you know, at least eight in the first uh, few weeks. And so who can afford that? Yeah, um, absolutely. They're already paying for their health insurance. Right. So they can barely afford that. And then it doesn't um, oftentimes cover it. So, yeah, it's a it's a dilemma. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it I, I think that uh, so one of the things that I just want to challenge viewers on, especially in relationship to addiction treatment centers, you know, even mental health primary centers, when you get to all of our brilliant websites, we are stating we treat things like dual diagnosis. And dual diagnosis as a category could be, I have a major depressive episode taking place right now, and yeah, I was smoking pot six months ago, or you know, maybe engaged in some other, you know, uh, abuse around drugs and alcohol, but this is the primary issue of concern. And our admissions lines are always so passionate to bring people in to be the opportunity, to be the treatment episode that provides these services. But I think for me, and the caution to the wind here is, is that if our only shot at this is to, you know, dole out medications, SSRIs or otherwise, that we have a fairly limited opportunity to actually treat what we say we can treat at the end of the day. And that really resonates with me and calls upon treatment providers watching this, aware of this information all around the country uh, to proactively move in the direction of the creation of these advanced services. And on top of that, um, 
or these services uh, through Colorado Recovery uh, Solutions that Dr. AJ has brought to uh, the community here in Colorado Springs and certainly been supportive of our patient demographic coming through Finding Peaks, uh, that uh, there needs to be these alternatives and that uh, what we can also hear out of this discussion is like there is a whole insurance side of thing and payment platform and a fragmentation that is uh, ripe for disruption in this regard in a really big way because it is in the way of, okay, now we know meds aren't going to work or it's going to take four to six weeks, but the person's suffering right now. And how do we get ahead of that in this moment? So I think it calls upon all of us to do a better job to lean into these types of uh, resources and where we're going. So kind of to you know, recapitulate what's going on. It seems like the problem within psychiatry, at least in the past, has been kind of just waiting for the pharmaceutical industry to create something for us and then to get behind it. And then hopefully there's enough money behind it for the insurers to come in and say, okay, well, we'll provide this. And that um, we can't wait anymore. <laughs> Mental health and depression and anxiety, especially over the last two years, are just skyrocketing exponentially among um, uh, American citizens and certainly around the world. And so we're in the need of new solutions and through platforms uh, such as Colorado Recovery Solutions that Dr. Uh, Jay here has created on behalf of this community and is working with Peaks Recovery Centers to um, defragment our situation seems like the new opportunities and where this is headed uh, for which we should all be excited about um, but slightly discouraged by um, uh, uh, the, uh, the amount of time it may take to actually get all of this to come together. So uh, at the end of the day, um, thank you so much for coming on and talking about this with us. It's a really important topic, especially around uh, depression, PTSD, uh, generalized anxiety. There are solutions uh, that are out there and available to the community and through treatment centers like uh, PEAKS. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, the situation is extraordinary and it calls upon all of us to do better and to have these discussions and to uh, represent what the limitations are so that people can appreciate why these solutions exist and where we're headed as an industry. So uh, on that note, as always, signing off here at Peaks, uh, find us on uh, Finding Peaks at PeaksRecovery.com. Uh, Dr. Uh, Johnson here is going to be on uh, next week's Finding Peaks episode as well. So if there's more questions, thoughts, ideas that you want to ask in her direction, uh, please let us know about that so we can address that at that time. Certainly won't be the only episode. I think there's a, we could go on for weeks about this, uh, these topics in general. Uh, as you all know, Chris Burns is doing awesome, fun videos on the TikTok. Follow the Peaks Recovery TikTok page so you can hear loud screams of recovery and energy here. Uh, a little bit different than the discussions that I'm generally having. Uh, again, the Facebooks, the Twitters, you kids all know what's going on out there. Thanks for being with us and being patient <laughs> as we describe uh, these uh, technical and detailed uh, issues that are going on, especially around depression. And until next time. Mm -hmm.